Slip Disc Back Chat Podcast with Rainer Hirsch and Norman Lebrecht. Hello and welcome back to Back Chat, which is the podcast of Slip Disc. What a pleasure it is to be with you once more. My name is Rainer Hirsch. I'm Norman Lebrecht. What kind of week have you had, Norman? Crammed, absolutely crammed, um, making decisions that are way, way, way above my pay grade. It's been really, really <laughs> stressful. <laughs> that they must be big decisions because you, you're the you're the chief operating officer, or whatever it is, and president, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you what I've done this week. I listened to the complete Beethoven piano sonatas played in a day by Julian Jacobson. He's a pianist who does this feat from time to time. That's staggering. Where did he do it? He did it at a church in Waterloo, not attended by nearly enough people. It was also streamed online, which is why I watched it. And oh my gosh, had I known, I would probably have beetled down there. It's, am- it's amazing. He's actually he's doing it again mm. this week in, don't ask me why, Uruguay. Anyone in Montevideo? Montevideo, anybody, you're listening in Montevideo? Julian Jacobson, comp- the Beethoven 32. I love these things. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that is, it's from memory, by the way. Can you imagine mm. that? Yeah. It's a pile of books, you know, as long uh. as your arm. And he churned them out one by one. I mean, he starts with uh, Opus 2, number one, which is the F minor one. And, uh, and he goes through the whole lot. Do you remember that Baron Boehm cycle at the Royal Festival Hall? I did see part of that. I've seen two cycles, though, not n- complete, not that complete. Kicking Slide Gold Dust, probably right. the last time the Royal Festival Hall sold out for anything. Right. I was sat beside two lovelies mm. who had never heard any Beethoven before, never heard any Baron Boehm before, but yeah. was just drawn by the sheer buzz of the thing and it was utterly 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 astonishing he refused to have a broadcast because he said in london they're always picking me up on wrong notes (laughs) but the wrong notes were the point of it you're doing the beethoven 32 there's bound to be some wrong notes it was gripping hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I've got some teaser sound cues for you. Here's one. Right, that's one. Uh, we have to work out what that's going to be about. Here is a potential other sound cue which you might listen to. Here we go listen to this. That was a cannon shot in case you had trouble um, working out. And here's a final one um, related to our conversation about Beethoven. Uh, listen to this. I won't the, say who him is, but I'm sh- sure listeners will pick up that touch and recognise the pianist. Mm, yeah, that's the Tempest Pianist Nota, Opus mm. 31, number 2 in D minor, played by, well, the subject of, I hope, mm. part of our discussion. So, um, first things first, uh, the Grammys. Mm. The Grammys got announced, the classical Grammys, well, all the yeah. Grammys and the yeah. classical part of them. 
Let's just establish what the Grammys, in fact, are. They were they were established in in the late fifties, yes. weren't they? They're yes. Amer- they're essentially American. Yeah. American Record Industry Prize, big television thing on what remains of network television in America. Right, and nobody gets as excited about them as the classical music industry. Right, well, we're nominated for a Grammy. Did you know? Nominated for Grammy. My PR will contact you. My record label will contact you. Nominated for Grammy. My invoice goes like that. Yeah. The thing about the classical Grammys. Yeah is that they don't get on television. Right. It's only the Kanye Wests and... and um, Insert the Adels, we don't know here. Exactly. Yeah. Who do get on television. <laughs> the, the classical Grammys don't even get read out on television. No. They're put out somewhere in the afternoon where nobody's listening or, or, or can channel them at all. They are of total and utter insignificance, except to the five artists or whatever it is, who managed to get themselves nominated. I am now, you thought I was just an ordinary conductor. I am a Grammy-nominated conductor. Um, Do you know, well, that's interesting. You know who's won the most Grammys ever in the history of the planet, ever? Who it is? Um, George Schulte. Georg Schulte. Did you really? Yes, because, you know, obviously, and that's the thing about the Grammys, Mm. they're accused of being basically... Commercial platform eye yes. for people wanting to, you know, promote their and, and they're, 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 it's very commercial. They don't pick on stuff which you know nobody knows about. They just pick on the same people over and over again, and that's kind of sort of happened sort this of, year. With, yes. Except so, for <clears throat> what you're saying is that George Shulte was Kanye West of the 1970s. He he was of all time. Of all time. I don't even know who Kanye West is because that's how limited my knowledge is of pop mm. music. But here's one interesting. So the classical, I mean, probably the, the, the one that's drawn the most attention, certainly amongst uh, viewers of mm. Slip Disc, is Best Orchestral Performance. Um, there's been a lot of comment on the website about that. And particularly about this band. This, listen to, listen to these people here, these young people, I must say. Young? Symphony Orchestra, and they have been nominated for a Grammy. And there's people going, hang on a second, a youth orchestra? And the Berliners and the Vienna Philharmonic and all the other great American orchestras, they're not in there? Does this say something to you about the voting procedures? Well, yeah. Uh, probably, it's, it's weird. It's a weird choice. Probably each of the youth in the orchestra has two parents, <laughs> and each of the parents gets themselves registered to vote for the Grammys, and that's how it works. I'm not saying the players in grown-up orchestras don't also have two parents, but um, I guess there was a little bit of um, drumming up the votes. Vote early, vote often. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I mean, other nominees, Berlin Philharmonic doing John Williams. I mean... So exciting. Yeah, exactly. I mean, hello. I mean, John Williams. There's somebody, actually, one, one uh, commenter... Macro V said, I love, I love John Williams with the Berlin Phil, at least the, the thing he saw, and thought it was great, but I wouldn't nominate it for a Grammy. And I think that's probably, is this, this is an important statement in, uh, recording, in recording history, is it? No, but I'm just wondering what John Williams might sound like with the New York Youth Symphony Orchestra. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, they'd have definitely won. I mean, that's, there's no question about that. Mm. I mean, anyway, there's mm. other ones. Uh, Los Angeles Philharmonic with Gustavo Dudamel, Dvorak Symphony of Seven. I mean, it's like it's kind of a list of the of, of the most in the most suspected. It's so retro, isn't it? Yeah, it is just. Um, it 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 feels like we've stepped back into the last century and not just the threshold but but way down the line grammys 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 move moving swiftly on yeah okay so there's the grammys now okay here's a uh, another which we 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 hinted at a little bit uh of and this is actually rather a special recording this is a violin which you might not recognize but i tell you has importance in the violin story Okay, that is Giulio Plotino, who's professor of violin at the Niccolo Paganini Conservatory, playing a flashy bit of Paganini, mm-hmm. of course, but on the Il Canone violin, which was owned actually by Paganini himself. It was his favourite instrument. It was called the Canone because it had a such an incredible cannon like a sound. Yeah. yeah. That uh, That's what Paganini himself called I'm it. I'm so glad you did that. We've had complaints about all the German accents that have been coming <laughs> in. It's very nice to have an Italian accent. I can do yeah. it Italian. Bene, bene, bene. Tell me, has it been tuned since Paganini's time? <laughs> well, uh, no, it probably stays in tune because it's one of the perfect, great old Italian, but if it was a viola, it would have gone straight out of tune. It was... It, so nicely with the ill-tempered clavier. Interesting. So this relates to uh, a story which uh, uh, appeared on the 17th of November, which is 17 pedigree violins, which were found in a London cupboard. Well, that is, that, that's the collection of a guy called Norman Rosenberg. Now, I hadn't heard that name before. Tell me about him. No relation. No. I mean, there, there are all sorts of people going around calling themselves Norman uh, because they want to be related to Slip Disc. But this one isn't. Right. And, and this is the sort of thing that can happen to anyone. I'm sure it's happened to you, Ren. It's happened to me. You have a violin in hand and you think, I don't need that immediately. Where shall I put it? I'll put it in the cupboard underneath the stairs, yeah. just the one leading up to the loft. And then you have another violin and you think, yeah, don't have an immediate call for that. Pop that in the cupboard under the stairs. And before you know where you are, you've got 70 of them. 70. Including... A Stradivarius. A Stradivarius of 1685. He's an incredibly early Stradivarius. Yeah. He's pretty much in his teens. Um, but ha- has never been heard in public. And 69 other prime examples from all, all, all over the place. It is so exciting to the people who have found it because they're going to put, put them all up for auction. There are so many of them. Yeah. They're going to have two auctions. There are also these priceless French bows that they found. Why does everybody have to have French bows? Well. I mean, I thought it was something you put in a little ghost girl's hair. Um, but apparently a French bow is the thing to have. Yeah. And they're all called tourts and such like. Um, and um, these are all going up for sale in two separate auctions, three months apart, so as not to ruin the market. Terribly, terribly exciting. What a marvellous find. Yeah. Um, Although, yep. not the find of the week. Oh, what's that? <gasps> Oh, I mean, this is causing such excitement in Finland. It's We're not pra- talking about a bottle. We're talking about a bottle. It's, oh, it's practically melted the ice in Finland. It, this is the unfinished eighth bottle of Jean Sibelius. And um, it's, um, th- apparently, there was, th- there's a restaurant near the railway station in Helsinki. Uh, Helsinki in Sibelius's time 
was really quite small, so everything was near the railway station. But this is Sibelius' favourite restaurant. Right. And he used to lunch there, epic lunches. This was known as, you know, this was Sibelius' restaurant. But it fell on hard times and became a little bit dilapidated. And I don't know, maybe they changed the menu and people didn't come that much. So they've done a rebuild uh, on it. And as the builders were ripping their way through the old place, they pulled away a section of wall and found a false straw. Ooh. And, of course, being Finnish like builders... Like the lion, the witch in the wardrobe. Yes, being Finnish builders, they think, ah, we're about to discover Sibelius's unfinished Eighth Symphony. <laughs> they say to each other in Finnish, I can't, I, can you do a Finnish accent? I can do a kind of Scandinavian, which is oh. anybody would, as you know, they're... I, re- I recently started a course in Finnish. In Finnish? Oh, it's good. <laughs> oh, you started. You, see what I've done? you started you see what I did a course there? in Finnish. See what I did there? <laughs> oh, no, oh, we won't go working, there. Always looking for an angle. It's it's an incredibly hard language, so I'm not it, even going to. It is. It yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. It, it, so they it, they open this false they door. They open this false door, and there behind the door was the unfinished. But what it was was this receptacle. Yeah. Now there's a famous. Um, picture of Sibelius at one of his epic lunches at this restaurant. It's painted by the national painter Axel Galunkalila and all his mates are around there and there are two bottles on the trips off her tongue. (laughs) Um, Do it again. Axel Galunkalila. (laughs) Good. And um, there are two bottles on the table. One is white and totally empty and the other is brown and partly obscured and it looks as though it might still have the odd drop left in it and Sibelius is sort of sprawled down in a state of intoxication incidentally these these lunches are going on in Sibelius's peak period I think it's about 1907-1908 he needs in order to write a symphony you need to have a proper lunch the best story about Sibelius's lunches I can tell you is this his favourite conductor drops by one day on his way to the station and, and they're all you know they're having lunch and Sibelius says, oh, come on, sit down and join us for a bit. So he joins them for a bit and then he goes off and catches the train to St. Petersburg where he's giving a concert. Gets to St. Petersburg, rehearsal, following morning, rehearsal, following evening, concert. The next morning, this is two days later, next morning, he catches the train back from St. Petersburg to Helsinki, drops into the restaurant, and Sibelius and co. are still at lunch. And <laughs> Sibelius says, oh, where have you been? <laughs> Absolutely true. Um, do you have a sound effect of a bottle smashing? I wish I did. It's Wouldn't all, it be nice? It's all been pre-programmed. But um, yeah, but can that... you imagine the builder standing there with a bottle? Oops! Do you know how acoustically significant this bottle is? Well, I'm, I'm, gra- I'm gradually getting a feeling for its import. It is of... It's of unbelievable importance. Right. Because um, when they um, were building the Philharmonie in Berlin about yeah. the same time as they were putting up the Berlin Wall. Yeah. A chap called Herbert von Karajan, who controlled everything, yeah. came by one day as they were putting up the stage, yeah. and he said, where are the broken bottles? Oh. And they said, what do you mean, maestro? He oh. said, well, um, after the war, I went around various German concert halls and opera houses, which had been unfortunately bombed through no fault of their own, and underneath every stage there were broken bottles. So it, it, it is a tradition in German concert halls that you have shards of glass underneath the stage because that enhances the acoustic. Extraordinary. This became... Doesn't help if you've got any trap doors there and people have to... No. This became acoustic science and everybody smashed up green bottles, ten green bottles, and put them under the stage for the next few years until some historian, um, can't remember who it was, got hold of the story and said, 
Why do you think there were broken bottles underneath the old Gewandhaus stage? Um, because when they were building the Gewandhaus, at half past twelve, somebody would blow on the whistle and uh, everybody would break for lunch and they'd be sitting on the edge of the stage swinging their little legs and um, swinging ha- away and swinging away at the bottle which would they would then chuck beneath the stage it would smash with a pleasant resonance and that was it it was yeah. the, these were the workers lunchtime bottles there's nothing scientific about it at all i'm afraid not do you know but what, I, I, bottle let's not lose sight okay of well that is going to go here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Right, here's another one. Here's another little sound cue for an idea. What about this? I know, I know what this is. I know what this is. This is the Russian retreat from Kherson. It, is it, not? Well, it, you know, we, yeah, it is that too. It is. It is obviously, um, it's my allusion to uh, what has happened recently. There's a story which is on the 16th of November. It was titled, Sacked Russian Maestro is Back at French Job. And it refers to a conductor. Yes. Tugan Sokhiev. Sokhiev. Mm-hmm. Who is back? He's got his job back uh, in as head. Of it hasn't the... been confirmed. He hasn't yet received the French letter. Oh, <laughs> I see what you're doing. Always looking for an angle. The orchestra that dates you so much. I mean, uh, Robert Johnny's, please. <laughs> <laughs> orchestra, orchestra national du Capitole du Toulouse. Du, du Toulouse. And um, is he what? So basically, when the war broke out, and it's not special military operation, by the way. Thank you. But when the war broke out, when the war was started by Putin, his illegal war, a lot of people, you know, with one for either side of the fence, such as Tugan Sokhiev, who was a Russian, was basically asked to, you know, publicly denounce the war or lose their job, as happened in Toulouse. And famously also happened to Valery Gergiev when he mm-hmm. was dropped by his management uh, he was fired as chief conductor of the Munich Philharmonic. He was dropped by La Scala, Rotterdam Philharmonic, which had previously run on an annual <laughs> uh, Valery Gergiev festival. Uh, you know, but all of that stopped. Now uh, he's big in Siberia these days. Yes, exactly. He's touring. He's touring with you know um, something equivalent to the Rainer Hirsch Orchestra out there. <laughs> yes. So, but I mean, I suppose the point for me is. Um, 
the war has now been going on. We've mm. become more used to it. And um, I, I don't want to trivialise this because, you know, it involves serious events in the world. But it is feels like, you know, people on a, a messy divorce who, you know, on, who have been asked to take sides. And these people are saying, I'm an artist, I don't take sides. I mean, we say that also, you know, in programming, people have programmed the 1812 Overture, for example, Tchaikovsky Symphonies, because this is great art, it doesn't take sides. But nevertheless, we've asked these artists to say to take sides. In the case of Valery Gergiev, he's a personal friend of Putin, so maybe that's a different case. But in the, in the case of uh, Tugan Sokhiev, He's just a guy caught in the middle. Am I? Am I? Maybe I'm getting that wrong. But I no, think that's right. No, I think. I mean, there's, you're making a very serious point here. Unusually, right? <laughs> thank you very much. And, and that's, and a lot of artists have been caught in this war as collateral damage. Mm. Um, the, yeah, the big wheels. Uh, Gergiev, who is a close mate of Putin, has been a propagandist for Putin. Does everything at his bidding. Mm. Uh, I don't think anybody has been sorry to see him go after his support for the special operations in Ukraine. Yeah, um, Anna Trebko and various others who got a little bit too close to the flame have also suffered. Dugan Sokhiev, um actually comported himself with great dignity. Mm. He's music director in Toulouse. He's also music director of the Bolshoi. What is he going to do? And the mayor of Toulouse said, we want you to condemn Russia. We would like the, you to the, 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 condemn the war. The the Russian and the French accent. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and, um, and, and the mayor of Moscow is saying, you must come out in support of special operation. Yeah. And what he did was he just resigned from both jobs. Yeah. He said, I'm a musician, I'm not a politician, I have my views on this, yeah. I am anti-war yeah. in general, yeah. I'm not going to comment on this specific war, yeah. what I am going to do is leave both of you in the lurch yeah. and, and go off and meditate somewhere and sod the lot of you. And I, that's, that's a big thing I to say, by the way, because you're basically, immense. you might think, you know, these people won't come back. I mean, every, these are people, artists in, you know, in the environment that artists work, yeah. thinking, what well, if I quit these jobs, they won't want me back and then my career is finished. Not at all. I mean, he's just finished a run in Philadelphia where they were absolutely raving about him. Right. And he is a, he's an extraordinarily gifted conductor. When he was about 17, they made him music director of Welsh Natural Opera. Right. It's a little bit too soon. Right. You know, one tends to wait until they start shaving before you make the music director. So he had, he had a little, a sticky time in Wales early yeah. on. But since then, he's had, he's, he's had a really serious career with a lot of respect he's a very 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 good conductor yeah and i think he has also taken quite an admirable moral position on this a shifting position yeah. of where a musician should stand in the midst of this horrible war so here's another little snippet which um which entertained me and related to a story in Slip Disc. Meet the students of the London Academy of Music and Arts, the maddest band of maestros who ever fiddled their way through college. Bring your wind up, man. Bring your wind up. Starring James Robertson Justice as the conductor whose bark was worse than his bite. Augmented by Leslie Phillips, Paul Massey, Kenneth Williams, Jimmy Thompson. Where are they playing? <laughs> <laughs> that is, I think, keep your wind up. And that was a, that was a kind of carry-on at the Conservatoire uh, film uh, featuring all those people you have mentioned. 
and also basically pretending to play their instruments. I'm really, and there's a moment when Kevin Williams has to conduct the orchestra and stuff. And, uh, you know, I think it's actually filmed at the Royal College, actually. Oh, gosh. And, um, oh, I must find that. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good laugh. But it relates to, well, two stories, uh, two consecutive. One, one is the new film Tar, mm. which um, starts Kate, Kate Blanchett and is the uh, fictional story a woman elected to lead the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra mm-hmm. and uh, various other problems. I haven't seen the film, by the way, and I think you haven't either. No, so it, hasn't been, it hasn't been released here. So it's only October in America. Only That's right, it's in the States. Yeah. But if it doesn't come here, then it doesn't exist. <laughs> I think it's going to be streamed, actually, is what's going to happen oh. to it. Um, and it relates to, well... Uh, Certainly the press people never got back to me. <laughs> well, wait, when they do, if you, come to, if, if you get a sp- ticket, two tickets, a plus one for the yep. press showing, I'll be there. You so it's, um, Tar is, is, is her name. I mean, uh, Tar, T-A, accent, acute, R. Mm. Tar! Mm. As, and um, it relates to another story. Well, it's that, people have commented about that on the website, actually, very interestingly. Uh, the one that really made my... It's uh, a bit, common um, greeting for visiting conductors in Liverpool. Ta-ra! Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, 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 there's various comments that people who have seen this uh, tar saying it's actually preposterous and rubbish. So one or two people, you know, seem to uh, get generally confused. Was this person a real person? People don't know. No, no doubt. Wonderful. If ever we get a press screening here, we'll be able to form a, a recent opinion. Um, she, one of somebody said, actually, I wish I could find it, that... Um, uh, what a shame that I'm sick to my stomach that Kate Blanchett was ignored for her transcendental performance of Mara 5 on Deutsche Grammophone for the Grammy Awards, basically, uh, because, you know, it might as well have just been up there. She, the whole story is... She could have been right up there with the New York Youth Symphony exactly. Orchestra. Mm. In the film, as I understand it, it hinges or one of the crucial plot lines hinges around her performance of or recording of Mahler Fifth Symphony. It relates mm. to a story, the Boston Philharmonic's Benjamin Zander lost some important marked-up scores when thieves stole his car from in front of his house, which had marked-up scores in it, one of which was Marla Fitz Symphony. Mm. And that, so I have to say, um, that if, you, if you've spent a lot of time going through music and you've written all these kind of notes in it, losing that is absolutely God, isn't fatal. Oh, gosh. You just thought yeah. it'd be sort of recording. Yes. Yes. Oh, how did I how did I mark that up? Yes. <laughs> what do you say that? I once actually I I had to go to Australia and I conducted uh, Emperor Concerto, uh, Beethoven Concerto, and I studied with Sean Edwards, mm. who used to uh, be at ENO herself, a story mm. which rumbles on. We no, won't get into that now. We no, talked about that last no, week. No. Uh, but um, and we spent. I I I went through this thing, you know, with the with the red pencil, the blue pencil, the, everything, and we talked about it and you know rehearsed bits of it. And then when I left her house, which is down in Lewis in Sussex, mm-hmm. um, I actually walked out with her identical copy of the Emperor Concerto, the, and, which was blank, <laughs> by the way, not because she, I mean she is a brilliant, brilliant woman, mm. but as some people conduct, I think Pierre Boulez famously he marked up his scores and then he actually conducted from a completely blank one yep. not because of that but because anyway she had a completely blank and I walked out and I got to Australia I was about to do this gig I actually had a lot of other things to do and at the end of it was this and, and some other music and I opened the score and what the hell's happened here somebody's gone through little sort of gr- gremlins are rubbed out on my and I realised that she had got my so I phoned her up or you know texted her or whatever it was we did a faxed probably back then mm. And she um, went to a printer who guillotined off 
the spine of my copy, uh, photocopied it, PDF'd it, and sent it over to me so I can print it out on the other side. That is a solution that wouldn't have existed. That's an act of great generosity. It was. But the point is that losing your scores is, is a pretty critical thing. This is a problem that's troubling the police in Massachusetts. They are dealing now with a really sophisticated class of criminals who are looking for marked up scores. They are going <laughs> around Boston. They are going around Cambridge. They say, that looks like a conductor's car. Let's take a look in the boot. <laughs> it's got and, that. Yes. It's... And, um, what does a conductor's you know, it's car look not like? going to be long no. before we hear of a missing police long plea. Well, various people have commented on that. Uh, uh, two comments. Uh, Lamed, November the 16th, mm -hmm. I rather think a lost Xander marked up score is no loss for classical music. His YouTube masterclasses are absolutely unbearable. Well, make of that what you will. I have actually studied with Benjamin Zander, so mm -hmm. I have my opinion on that. And I've but... been to his masterclass, yes. There we go. And Barry uh, Guerrero uh, wrote, people can scoff at Benjamin Zander all they want. His recording of Beethoven Symphonies 5 and 7 on Telarc were really very good, quite competitive, blah, 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 blah. And he says he's brilliant. So there you go. I hope he gets his scores back. Yeah, absolutely. Then, yeah, we, then we, he can yes, carry yes. on with his and, and the symphony. police catch this villain. All right, here's the final um, thing that I, I alluded to. I'm going to play it again because this is my allusion to our thing we wanted to talk about. Here we go. I did a rip then because it, I loved, it made me laugh. I like that kind of mm. phrases cut short. That is, of course, the great Daniel Barenboim who is turning 80. He was 80 this week. He was 80 this week. Well, yeah. congratulations to him. Um, he's not in the best of health. No. But we, no. you know, we hope and pray that he, he would be back. He's a mm. man of extraordinary ability. And, um, you know, he, I mean, I've seen so remarkable, so many remarkable performances of his. And I just thought we'd just reflect a little bit on some of the great moments we've enjoyed uh, with Baron Boy, I tell you, oh, a couple. Of hours. Mm -hmm. I went to see him. Uh, there's Festival Hall, Beethoven Sonatas. I remember mm -hmm. him doing Beethoven Sonatas at the Albert Hall. I mm -hmm. sat at the front with a pianist called Barry Douglas. We went yes. years and years ago mm -hmm. to him. I went to see him. I saw him at the Staatsoper. I saw him recently actually do Marriage of Figaro. Mm -hmm. So we sat so close actually, me and my friend, that we we joked we could have bounced a ping pong ball off um, Daniel Baron Boy's head. Uh, during the, the third act, the internal bit in the garden when it goes on and on and on. And we thought what would happen to us if we ever did bounce the ping pong ball. We probably, well, for a start, we'd be banned from the start topper forever. But I think the start topper then would go into the, into the biggest venue in the history of opera because everybody and their dog would claim to have been at the start topper on the night somebody bounced a ping pong ball on Daniel Barenboim's head. I, I, um, I mean, I've seen him play, you know, there was that ama amazing series. He did the Beethoven concertos and, and, and cut between them, Schoenberg. Yes. Well, amazing. Yeah. I mean, and then, just... he, then he did the Wagner Ring at the proms. I mean, there, there is just so many. Look, I've, I've, I've known him. I've watched him all my life. Yeah. And, and that's more than half of his life. And, <laughs> um, and, and the, the memories are innumerable, mm. um, both musical and personal. Um, I don't think I've ever known anyone who can light up a room or chill a room as instantaneously as Daniel Barenboim. Yeah. He is a man of moods, but he is also a man of, of, of great emotion and of great friendships. And I just heard a little story the other day um, about 
him and Peter Jonas, who had been mates. Peter Jonas was managing director of English National Opera, then of Bavarian State Opera, um, quite a big player on the music scene. And he'd had a long history with cancer from the age of 25. And when he was finally in his, in, in his, in his last phase, Daniel Barenboim would ring him up every morning, no matter where he was in the world, mm. and say, Peter, what would you like me to play for you? Up to the day he died. Wow. And I thought, as a definition of human contact and of friendship, that is pretty damned hard to beat. We want to say thank you to, and congratulations, happy birthday to Daniel. Happy birthday to Daniel, and really thank you for everything. Get, and more, get well soon. Get well soon, and you know, come back to London. And I love the fact that he's treated London in the way he has. You know, we see him, we see him a lot, yeah. he's here a lot, we have a chance to experience that wonderful talent. So we're going to end with uh, Daniel Barrymore. this is the Emperor Concerto, which, this is the end of the first movement. Uh, in memory of my lost scores all the rest of it now before we close please can we hear if he's playing from a marked up score <laughs> he doesn't need a marked up he's, it's all up in it's all up in his head mm. but can I just say um, that's why they call a marked up Argerish <laughs> have you been working on that <laughs> you're quick have you ever found an instrument in a, in a, in a loft in a cellar in a, in a cupboard have you ever picked it out and thought oh, I'm going to play this again Let, let's hear about that what do you think about Tar the movie? Have you seen it? Please let us know if you have. Um, the Grammys, you know, anything that we've covered in this. And of course, if you've got any Daniel Barron Boyan stories, we, we want to hear them, you know. Feedback, please, folks. And um, we will look forward to catching up with you next time. We will. So from me, Rainer Hirsch. And from me, Norman Labrest. Open yeah. your cupboards. Open your cupboards. Here's Daniel Barron Boyan.